So visitors, uh, my heart in this, it's for you, as I just get ready. So you all know the story about the prodigal son for the visitors. Um, if you don't know the story about the prodigal son, um, let me know, and I'll speak to you afterwards. But the prodigal son was a young man who decided to go to his father before his father died and said, look, I no longer need you, I no longer love you, um, I want my portion of your inheritance. So he took his portion of inheritance, and to him, his father was dead at that point in time. And he left his father. And uh, my laptop's not working. So as he left his father, he went to the land, and he spoilt and wasted all his money. He bought Nikes, Ferrari, and uh, eventually his money ran out, a drought came about, and he finally managed to get a job on a farm feeding pigs. And pig swill is not something you want to eat. It's all the leftovers, the afal, and everything. And he said, if only I could have a decent meal, then I'll be all right. And he said, you know what? If I go back to my dad's house, even there, I'll be treated as a slave, but I'll have a roof over my head and a decent meal. So he went home. Can you imagine him going home after having feeding pigs and a long journey home? His Nike's worn out. And his father put in the effort of wasting some time as he was working his lands. He kept on looking up to see if one day his son would return. And this specific day, he looked up, and there his son was. And in an undignified manner, he ran towards his son. And in those days, as rich as what he was, he would have sent his servants. Go and see what my son, the one that squandered all my money, did. And what does he want back here? You know, he considered me dead. Why, why is he coming back? Does he want more money? But the father didn't do that. In an undignified manner, he ran to him. Didn't matter how he smelt, didn't matter how he looked. He ran up to him and he embraced him and he kissed him on his cheeks and he just loved him so much. And his slaves were obviously behind him and he turned around and said, go and get the finest cloak out of his wardrobe. And he's lost that gold ring. He probably pawned it that I gave him. But go into my closet and find a new gold ring for him. And bring him the best shoes. His Nikes are worn out. And the message for the visitors today is that God wants to embrace you just as he embraced that prodigal son. He loves you no matter where you are, what situation you're in, where you come from. And what you're experiencing in life. All he wants to do to you today is to embrace you. Like a father embraces his child and forever says, I love you. I care for you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I truly love you. So that's just for the visitors. And a little word that went along with it. Um, out of uh, Isaiah 26, I'm reading out of uh, the New Living Translation. It says uh, from uh, verse 20, 
Ah, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. So trust in God and all those thoughts who are fixed on you. So you'll find perfect peace in God as you look to him, the author and the finisher of your faith. So before we do the sermon, I'm going to pray. So if you don't mind just closing your eyes, I would like you to take a posture of receiving, just opening your hands and say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak to me. I need you today. Let your spirit overflow in my heart and in my life today. Lord, we always come and we hear a message and we leave and it doesn't really impact us. Maybe this message won't impact me. But Lord, I trust that every single person who hears this message which you've impressed on my heart will go away here reflecting on their own hearts, their own lives, what it is that they want and what they need, knowing that you are a living God who provides, who loves, who cares for, and set us aside as his own special children. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak. Amen. Just after this preach, uh, there are one or two prophetic words, which I believe might well um, line up with what I'm going to share. And so in life generally, uh, there are two, if you want to be super simplistic, there are two types of questions that we always ask. Maybe... Uh, we ask each other these simplistic questions, but the first question is based on the need for information, and this is like my category, and you, you want to ask the person something that they should know, which you should know. It sounds like Greek, but it's the kind of question I ask my wife almost every day. It's like, Laureen, where did I put my car keys? Laureen, where's my cell phone? Laureen, where is this? And uh, the other day, Laureen was talking on the phone, and uh, she had to uh, write down the person's telephone number, and she said, let me just find the phone quickly, because of the contact numbers are on the cell phone. But she had her cell phone on her ear, and she said, Kim, where's my cell phone? <laughs> I ask because I don't know, and I assume that the person that I'm asking possesses the knowledge that I need and might be willing to share it with me. So if I ask you something, and you know about it, you're going to be willing to share with it. Now, Apple have just come out with this amazing invention that's called AirTags. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. They cost about 19 or let's say $20 each, and you can attach them to your phone or your car keys. But the problem is, what happens if you lose your phone? Then you can never trace your car keys. So it's a bit of a dilemma, that one. The, so the second question, the other type of question, is not based on information, but it's based more on revelation. Now this is very important. It's based on revelation. And you ask this type of question to another when you know the answer, and maybe even the person you're asking knows the answer, but through asking it, it reveals something else that the person you are asking might know. So I can go to Mike. He's a wonderful teacher. I honor him, I respect him for his knowledge. And uh, 
ability to uh, really open up the Bible. And if I had to say, Mike, I know what sanctification is, but tell me what is sanctification. And he's going to unpack it for me. The little bit that I know is about this much. But once Mike gets hold of it, you know, we get around this building about six times. And then the revelation really sinks in. Now I've got it because he knows more than I do. And the thing is that God asks you and I these questions all the time. It's questions about revelation. And take, for instance, in the Garden of Eden, when the fall happened, man rebelled. Remember Eve? It's always the woman's fault. She was listening to Satan, but her husband was there, right behind her. And uh, he said, um, did God really say? And this is interesting, just that little question. And that question often comes into our own hearts and our own minds. Did God really say that? And then we start doubting, we start questioning, and we start moving in a different question. But in that moment when man rebelled, everything in creation was turned upside down. And the Lord asks a question of Adam and Eve, and you can follow me in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, and we're reading out of the New Living Translation. So, I can't read that standing here. So, I'm going to read it from my iPad. Most of you know the story. So the woman was convinced by Satan. She saw that this tree was beautiful and its fruit looked so delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And I mean, that's just tough. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They didn't have Bernina sewing machines. I don't know where they found needles from, but they had the ability to sew fig leaves together to make themselves a beautiful Calvin Klein outfit. <laughs> when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to them, Where are you? Now you see, this isn't a question based on information. God, the Creator, knew exactly where they were. He, you know, He didn't have to say, Peekaboo! Where are you? I'm going to count to three, and then I'm going to come find you. He knew exactly where they were because God created everything. He could see everything. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. So he knew exactly where they were. But you see, he asked this question because he wanted to reveal something to Adam and Eve. It wasn't about knowledge. He wanted to reveal something to about, about us as well. And this revelation is both about themselves and ourselves and about God, our Father. And through these three words... God brings us to a point of really revealing to us that we are actually sinners, hiding from His presence. And I'm going to share part of my journey as we go along in this, what I've experienced in maybe the last year. 
And in some degrees, Lorraine jumps up with excitement. And some days, she gets very upset with me. And, uh, but we'll get there. And he asks these questions because of his great love for us. You know, when you come here, you come here in a certain state. And when you meet with God, you leave changed. Your whole life transforms and changes. Because God is about restoration and reconciliation. He never wants to leave you where you are. He wants to take you from glory to glory to glory. Not gory, gory, gory. Glory. It's got an L in it. Okay? And he's seeking us to have the right relationship with him. And as parents, even we do this. You know, we come into the house, and we see lying on the floor, there's a broken lamp. So Daniel broke the lamp. But Michael or Adi will say, who broke the lamp? But they know very well that he broke the lamp. But you see, it's about revelation. They know who broke the lamp. I mean, he's just the naughtiest child amongst the three of them. <laughs> Dan, Dan, I'm joking. Don't point uh, to Joel, that's you. It's not because we desire revelation. We want the child to own up and say, look, I've done this. And he would then ultimately own what he had done and then there'd be some discipline maybe or some grace extended. He should have been more careful. Or I'll see you in the bathroom. I don't know how Mike disciplines his kids. Daniel, does your dad ever discipline you? Yes. Mike? <laughs> You're a good dad. So it's revelation and not information. And when we come to Jesus, we find him asking all kinds of questions as well. And I would suggest that when Jesus asks this question, it's not about him searching for information about ourselves. You see, Jesus, being God himself, knows everything about you. He says, I know every hair on your head, except in Peter. He knows, he knows what you're thinking even before you thought it. He watched you being wound or grown or sewn together in your mom's room. He thought about you before your mom and dad thought about you. It's one of my favorite scriptures that I often quote, and I absolutely love it. I do a teaching on it. It's one of my favorites. It's in Jeremiah chapter 1 from verses 5 to 10. And he talks to Jeremiah and he says, I knew you even before your parents thought about you. I set you apart. I consecrated you. I called you to be a prophet over the nations. Daniel, how old are you now? 14. Just come here quickly. He's a big 14-year-old. Stay there. You're my same art. You stay there. <laughs> now, Jeremiah at that stage was 15 years old, so we'll assume that he's 15 right now. Okay, you can sit down. So he can't wait before he sits down. So God says to him, I call you to be a prophet over the nations. Not over the nation of Israel, over the nations. And young Daniel says, or Jeremiah says, Lord, but I'm too young. Now, could you imagine that why they called him the weeping prophet? Can you imagine a 15-year-old walking into the king's chambers and says, Thus says the Lord. Clap. 
Snot flies everywhere. <laughs> Get out of here. Who do you think you are? You lighty, you know, foot sack. <laughs> and he went out weeping, but God, nobody wants to listen to me. And then God took a burning coal and touched his lips and says, every word that you speak will be a prophecy over the nations. So each one of us have been known by God, been called by God, have a destiny that's been given to you. He has a plan and purpose for each one of you. And this is something that I wanted to say about both Mike and Morris. And the rest of you, you know, God has called you. And when he's called you, and he has, every single one of you, there's never a full stop behind your name. There's always a comma. So Morris might think he's going to be here for another 20 years and get comfortable, and you guys are going to love him like you love Mike. And Mike thinks he's going to be comfortable working alongside me, and he's get comf- going to get comfortable there. No, it's only a comma. It's only a comma. God could move him in two years' time, a year's time, six months' time. We don't know. But we trust God. But there's one particular um, moment in the Gospels when he speaks and asks a very surprising question, and it's in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. If you could just get there quickly. I've got 10,000 scriptures, so we'll try and get through them quickly. Now, what was that? 10,000 scriptures. Now, they're in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, uh, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude. Last week I called them invalids, but they're actually invalids. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Could you imagine lying in one spot for 38 years? When Jesus saw him lying there, And knew that he had been there for a very long time. And he said to him, Do you really want to be healed? Now he's not doff. He knows that the man's been lying there, crippled for 38 years. But he looks at this man who's an invalid for 38 years, nearly four decades, and says, Do you really want to be healed? And this is a question God is asking each one of us today. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? He said, but healed from what? And I'll get to that. It seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? I mean, if you read the context, you will find that this man, as I said, he's been on the receiving end, sick for 38 years, as I said, for almost uh, four uh, decades. And there was a superstition that an angel came down and stirred the water and then if you managed to get in, as the angel was stirring the water, you could be healed. But maybe it was just the water bubbling up because it was a spring, you know, and the water came out every now and then. But he couldn't get there. And he said, but Lord, but nobody helped me to get down there, so I'm not healed. But you see, God was asking, not out of knowledge. He knew all of this. He was asking about the revelation. Do you recognize who I am? Do you know that I am Jesus, the Lord? And this guy couldn't pick it up. Of course this man wanted to be healed. I mean, he wanted to be healed. I mean, who wouldn't want to be healed? I mean, if I was an invalid lying on a mat for 38 years and somebody comes up to me and says, do you want to be healed? I'm going to say, is that a no-brainer? Of course I want to be healed. 
But why do I want to be healed? But let's go back to the reasons behind the questions. Remember what I said, if we categorize these questions. One involves information, the other one involves revelation. And Jesus is asking a question about revelation. So what then does Jesus want to reveal by asking this question? And in the book of John, we know that Jesus is constantly talking about revelation. And the reason why all seven miracles, how many of you know how many uh, parables are there in the Bible? There's a lot of Bible students here. You like. How many parables are there in the Bible? Anybody? Mark? Scholar? Nobody? I have to come here as the new dean. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, that was, your comma was very short-lived. <laughs> uh, revelation, I love that. There are 37 parables in the Bible. <laughs> I'll drink to that. But in the book of John, they don't talk about them as miracles. They actually talk about signs. John spoke about signs as opposed to miracles. It's because they're all meant to reveal the divinity of Jesus Christ. It was about Him being divine, Him being Lord, Him being God, who has the ability. So they spoke about signs. With this question, Jesus was forcing this man, this invalid, to look inside of himself. Why do you want to be healed? I know you want to be healed, but why is it that you want to be healed? And then he says, do you, you really want to be healed? And as I said earlier on, I think this is a question that Jesus asks us every day, most of us, anyway. It's not that we don't need to be healed. I don't think there's anybody that's sitting here that doesn't need to be healed. I think we all need to be healed. We need to be healed from the sins of our life. We are all sinners in one form or another. We need to be healed from the wounds of painful circumstances. Many of us have had many painful circumstances throughout our lives. We need to be healed from our misshapen views of God. You know, you can either love God or you can not love Him. I wouldn't say hate Him. So sometimes we sin and we think that God's going to strike you with a bolt of lightning. So in that case, we turn and walk away from God. Because God is mean. He's harsh. But if you really understand the true love of God, even though you've sinned, you know that He's a, a God that wants to reconcile. He wants you to get that revelation. So you don't turn away from Him. You turn towards Him so He can embrace you and forgive you in your brokenness. That's the revelation that he's looking for. And we have come through many decades of bad examples and wrong beliefs who God is. I had a misshapen view of God up until the age of 47. I thought God was a God that reflected my father. Harsh, distant, mean. And that had a major impact on my life until I met Jesus Christ at the age of 47. Then I realized that God is God the Father. And there's no father on earth 
who could compare to the loving Father in heaven. So he asks us along with this man, with something concerning our desire. We, like this man, are lying in a state of ongoing sickness. And Jesus asked the same question. And he put it back up. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And in that moment, right now we need to ask ourselves the same question. Do you really want to be healed? You see, because many of us, over the many years, and a lot of youngsters here, you're not as old as me. I'm still young. I'm just carrying a lot of responsibilities. I'm about 25 years old. <laughs> but in that moment, when Jesus asked him, you know, he was forced to look inside of his heart. Was he happy to be an invalid? For people to feel sorry for him every time they walked past him and threw him a coin or gave him a meal? Was he hanging on to that? Was that his heart? Or did he really want to be lived? And many of us are carrying around a crutch. That's just who I am. That's just the way God made me. And I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to hide behind this. And we develop an attachment to this. So as I was going through this little bit of a journey, somebody sent me a, a couple of slides, which I'm going to stick up on the board quickly. Now, I'm going to have to step down because I can't read here. So if, just tell me if I'm in your way and you can't see. If you're going to look up. So this is called, let me sit down, so I'm not in your way. Socially accepted and reward responses to trauma. So who's suffering from trauma in this place? I am. Okay. Let's go through that. Perfectionism. Who's suffering with perfectionism in this place? Who's overachieving? Who's restricting food? And under eating. Currently, I have one meal a day and I'm full for the rest of the day. Excessive exercising. I go to gym every day from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock. Who likes people-pleasing? I hear a lot of people saying, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Who likes powering through? Who doesn't take breaks and vacations? I have to stick up my hand very slowly because I know... Lorraine's watching. Okay. Who prioritizes the career over their personal life? Who likes being a yes person? Who suffers from chronic workaholism? Who likes to overschedule? Who functions on a few hours of sleep? Jeff Kidwell phoned me the other day and he said, Why are you sending messages out at Hopper's three in the morning? Okay, let's go on to the next slide. <laughs> Chronic stress and trauma responses are just the ways that we cope with internal dysregulation. Some of these are shamed and others are highly applauded and reinforced by our culture. There's not a single thing on the list that isn't seen as somewhat of a strength in our society. Following in these steps will likely ensure success in being seen as an accomplished human, what you really ask is, at what cost? This is what Jesus said. Do you really want to be healed? And has this coping me mechanism been adopted to disconnect from the pain we have, may have experienced? We talk about drugs, 
alcohol, rage, adrenal-seeking behaviors, I can tell you that I, when I work, the adrenaline is at a high rate. Self-harming, and they're all trauma responses. Rarely do we consider the unconventional ways we cut ourselves off from traumatic experiences by engaging in pro-social behaviors. We've got it all together. So I look at myself, I look at Mike, I look at Morris, I look at Derek, I look at Pete, and we kind of got it all together. But what's inside of us? Who does everything for everyone except for themselves? Who's a perfectionist in all areas of their lives? The one that counts calories and wakes up at five in the morning to get to the gym <laughs> while functioning of just four hours sleep without ever asking what's going on there. Yes, this is what our culture applauds. The thing is, the applause that these individuals receive mean that they may never fully understand how pain is being hidden through overachievement. They simply feel that they're being resilient, making the best of a difficult situation. While the mind rationalizes, the body takes a different approach and it will send messages ranging from headaches, digestive problems, heart palpitations, to full-on diagnosable illnesses. It will let you know that things are off. So before you start applauding someone's busyness, can we take a moment to understand that we're also possibly applauding and reinforcing a trauma response and a systematically flawed system? And can we just pause and ask, how is your heart? Now, somebody sent that to me out of concern. Then I, Andrew came in and saw me. We uh, brought in a new congregation. It's now Saturday PM. And uh, after the meeting, he said, Kimmy. When he says, Kimmy, I know, oh, oh, it's trouble. I'm coming to your house after the service. So he sat down there. Laureen sitting next to me, and he says, Kim, you need to take breaks. You need to take Mondays off, switch your phone off. But you know, most of the pastors or elders, when they phone me, they say, Hey, Kim, it's Monday. Isn't it your day off today? I said, yes. And they say, well, anyway, can I just ask you? <laughs> so most of those things are who and what I experience as an individual. So... <laughs> The demon's already manifesting. <laughs> so during COVID, the beginning of COVID was very tough and very difficult for me. We had to set up Almost Church, and I think if you look at the first episode of Almost Church, it was an absolute disaster to where, if you look at Just Gen Life uh, right now, it's a quality production that uh, reaches 54 countries. But I had to sit in a room from 5 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, touching the lead elders, speaking to Andrew, putting Just Gen Life out. And that's not who I am. I'm a sociable person. I like interacting and having coffees with people. I like getting out, I like going to gym, and so forth, but I couldn't do that. And what happened is depression set in, 
and I nearly committed suicide. I went to the park and I took my dog's leash and I hung it up on a, one of the playground poles and I was about to hang myself and I distinctly heard the Lord say, no. So you always be obedient. So the Lord requires obedience before sacrifice. I then went to go and see my doctor. He put me on medication. I'm still on it, antidepressant uh, tablets. In fact, every day I take in excess of 12 tablets. If I jump up and down in the year, rattles, it's not my bones because of my age. It's all the tablets inside of me. But eventually you become comfortable with this and you just deal with it. But my lifestyle doesn't change. I'm still doing what that list that first slide says, and I've had many people coming to speak to me, saying, Kim, we're noticing that there's something different about you. Kim, you need to take a break. Kim, your face is looking a little bit puffy. What's wrong? Kim, you need to take leave. When are you going to take leave? Andrew would ask me, when are you going to take leave? And I shrug my shoulders and Laureen's on my case every five minutes. We need to take a break. We need to take a break. And I, and I just got to power through. So much to be done. You've got so many responsibilities. I mean, just leading Mike in itself. <laughs> I love Mike. I want to tell you, I really love this guy. I want to honor him. Um, so I've, don't know, I said there's a bit of friendly banter. Maybe I've been over the top today, but I know you can take. He's got big shoulders. I used to be big. I got a fright the other day when a prophetess came to me and lunch with him and she says, uh, she felt very um, scared and she eventually asked Laureen for permission if she could speak to me out of fear that I would have reacted badly. And she sat down and we were having lunch and she said, okay, Kim, you're not yourself anymore. Uh, we noticed that you really like burning the candle at both ends, you're exhausted. You're running on fumes. But the Lord says he's going to give you one more year. One more year, if I don't change my lifestyle. That's quite sobering to think. If a prophet comes to you and says you've got a year to live, if you don't change your lifestyle. I went to go and see a psychologist during the week, I did break down, cheers. Then he gave me a whole lot of notes to read. And I looked at them and they sounded all very new agey. So I phoned my doctor and said, I can't go back to this guy. He spoke about God, but I'm not sure he's fully Christian. I think he knew that I was a pastor, so he threw in the odd God word. Could things be better? Sure they could. I'm on a healing journey as God reveals what I am. So I, I've got to ask myself the same question that Jesus asked that invalid lying next to the pool. I'm now 63 years old. And God's saying to me, as he's saying to many of you right now, do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Now I've got to be honest with myself. Now, Lord, I didn't want to be healed. I wanted to run 
I want to do. Tick all those boxes on that list. I want to be known as the guy that really gave himself to the kingdom. He poured his life out. He's just like, uh, the youngsters can't keep up with him. He's running so hard. But I'm going to kill myself in the process, or God's going to kill me, or take me home sooner than I should be going home. Because of, I don't want to be healed. I'm happy to be an invalid for the rest of my life. You see, healing is good, but it's also uncomfortable. And even as this psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever he was called, was speaking to me, it was very uncomfortable. I had to unpack my past about my dad, my brothers, my sister. They basically ostracized me for being a Christian. They don't want anything to do with me. And, you know, as you're talking, you're weeping. You know, Lord, what is going on with me? What is happening in my life that, I, that suddenly all these emotions, just my dad taught me that cowboys don't cry. And I was weeping in this room. And he's just passing me tissues all the time. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It means letting go what is familiar and what is comfortable. It also means revealing us totally, releasing ourselves totally into His care. It also means that trusting that He's better than whatever lifestyle we are clinging to. So I'm clinging to this lifestyle and doing what Andrew has asked me to do. Like, I want to give the team these guys, the elders are sitting here, you guys, 100%. Now, I always say 110%, but you don't get 110%. You can only work up to 100% for the mathematicians. But I want to give 100%. You know, I want to give my life. You know, I'll take a bullet for Mike. I want to go down fighting. I want to be like the last man standing. But I won't be the last man standing if I deny the fact that my heart needs to be healed. But the answer to the question in the positive requires some measure of risk on our part. And if we want to answer in the affirmative, and if we see inside ourselves and recognize that being healed means departure from when we were once and moving forward into the unknown with Jesus, then He's willing to heal us. I've got to let go of everything that I know, the experience, the expertise, the knowledge, and I've got to go to Jesus as you've got to go to him and say, Jesus, I need to let go of these things. I need healing from you and you alone. And though this process might be longer than it was planned, healing will come. And I'm trusting for you guys that need healing, that healing will come when you trust and put your, your trust in Jesus Christ, not in yourselves. I'm wondering... Right now, I sent my GP a message yesterday. I said, I don't know if I can go back to this guy. But he said, you know, it's part of the process, and the process is tough. You've got to go back. And I'm like fighting this thing. And last week, Saturday morning, the Lord got very honest with me. And, you know, sometimes we all need the truth hammered into us very hard. And all of us, tend to come up with an excuse why we want to push on and push through. Who knows who Smitty Riker is? Anybody know Smitty Riker? 
Mark. Okay, who saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Okay, that guy. His name was Smitty Riker. For those of you who didn't know or haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, it's a great movie. You need to see it. It's blood, guts, gory. It's a warm movie. It's a true story about the seven-day Adventist. And Smitty Riker, being a seven-day Adventist, refused to pick up a weapon. And he fought the system. And eventually they allowed him to go to work, to, to war, as a medic. They first locked him up. They beat him up. And they were, they were anti him because he didn't want to pick up a rifle. But, but he went to war. But when they got to the place where they had to fight, there was a, a 50-meter wall that they had to climb up with a rope and get onto the battlefield. And they could advance slowly. But as they're advancing, the enemy were in their trenches with their guns and they would like, with their mortars and their bombs, and they would just annihilate the allies. Well, Smitty Riker was one of these guys. He was the medic. And he would go and see that guy's injured, and he'd drag him with all his strength, all his power, and lower him down this 50-meter cliff so the medics could take care of him. And he did this on and on and on. And he got shot, and he's, he was full of holes and everything. And he looked up, and he said, Lord, just one more. Just one more, Lord. And he'd crawl in pain and agony and go and find the one more. And many of us, like me, says, Lord, just one more. But the Lord's rebuking me. It's not about the one more. You can't kill the horse that I've given you to ride to get to the end of the race. You need to look after it. I felt like God saying, you're not enough. It's a rebuke. You're not enough. And you'll never be enough. That's almost the words that I heard from my dad. My mom said to me when I was a very young boy, six years old, she said to me, you were a mistake. Stuck with me for 47 years until I met Jesus Christ. My teacher once said to me, Afrikaans teacher, I won't mention her name. I did mention her name once in the congregation and uh, one of the congregants actually knew. I think it was her cousin or aunt or something. <laughs> That's like putting your foot into it. But she said to me, you would never amount to anything. You see, it's words that kill people. They say sticks and stones will break my bones. But words can never harm me. No, no, words are killers. And the Bible says so as well. So God said to me, you're not enough. You'll never be enough. And see, I can't meet up to my own expectations or even that of the world around me. And I'm always trying to please Andrew. I'm always trying to help the team. I always want the best for you guys. So I'm going to push myself. One more, Lord. Just, I'll wake up earlier. Spend more time with you. Just give me the capacity. Just give me the energy to love you guys. To be with you. To to run from this congregation to that congregation, to appoint new elders, to oversee the marketing and the communications, to do the filming and to oversee, you know, all the, all the ministries and then, the, and, 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 and. You're not enough, Kim. You'll never be enough. I to acknowledge, yes, Lord, I will never be enough. And he said to me, but Jesus, he is enough. But Jesus, He is enough.
So we're going to pray now. So I'm going to start praying for you. And I'm going to pray, firstly, a prayer which is out of Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Most of you know it. And again, as we close our eyes, I'm going to ask you again to say, Lord, is that me? Is this something I've been hiding behind? Do I have a crutch? I've been hanging on to this for 15 years, 20 years, 35 years. I didn't believe. Well, I believed I was enough. I could do all things in my strength. Contrary to what the word says. Psalm 139 verses 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart, Lord. Know my heart, Lord. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So Father, this congregation, as they listen to this message, I know that there are many that are sitting here. As the Holy Spirit speaking to them, saying, yeah, that's you. I've been hanging on to this thing. People recognize this thing. And there's sympathy, there's acknowledgement, they come and they pray for me every night. They give me tablets. They comfort me. They're always around me. And Lord, sometimes I could feel like a parasite, like a leech, just because of who I am. Instead of saying to you, Lord, yes, I do want to be healed, but I need that revelation of who you are, that you are more than enough for me. And some of you that are sitting here, that haven't met Jesus Christ. There's a couple of visitors here. Without Him, you'll never be healed. You run around in circles like I am or have been. You say, I need to meet this Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way you can be healed is accepting Him as your Lord and Savior. I just want to stop there quickly to tell you a short story. You can open your eyes and we'll carry on praying. We had some visitors from Holland. And we were sitting in the ocean basket. And about this level beneath us, there was another table next to us. I didn't even notice them. We were too busy talking to these women, Elizabeth from Holland. And we were just talking about Jesus and church and everything. Eventually, I got up to go and pay the bill. And the young lady that was sitting at the table, she came up to me and she said to me, are you a pastor? So I said, yeah. What makes you think that? She says, no, all you guys were doing was speaking about Jesus. So I said, yes. She said, would you mind praying for my dad? I said, yeah, sure. What's his name? I said, no, it's Neville. I said, what's wrong with him? He says, no, he's got throat cancer. So I said, can I go and pray for him now? He said, no, no, I don't think you'd like to be prayed for. I said, okay, I'll keep him in prayer. So she disappears, and five minutes later, as I was paying the bill, she came back and she said, no, Dad said you can come and pray for him. So he had a buff on. 
and it pulls his buff up from the bottom up and he takes one of those machines and he holds it to his throat. Hi, my name is Neville. It vibrates. My name is Neville. And he pulls it down again. So, hi, I'm Kim. It's nice to meet you. I said, I'd love to pray with you. But the prayers that I'm going to pray for you could fall to the ground if you don't know Jesus Christ and your Lord and your Savior. I said to him, do you know Jesus? And without speaking, he went like that. And I said, this isn't going to make my prayers effective. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? And he nodded, yes, please. And I led him to the Lord and prayed for him. And the prayers of a righteous person will be heard. Whether he's healed or not, I don't know. I've never seen them again. They were complete strangers who overheard a discussion. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, you can close your eyes and bow your heads now. You might also have shaken your hand like this. Now, maybe I don't know him. I'd like to know him. He is my Lord. I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my Savior. I need, need him to ask me that question. Do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Do you want life, life in abundance? Do you want life, life in eternity? Do you want to go to heaven? If that is you, just raise your hand quickly. I'd love to pray with you. Anybody? The Lord is here. The Lord wants to redeem and reconcile you to Him. You know, Jesus says He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And you could be the one person now that Jesus is speaking to. I never rush these things. I never feel embarrassed to say, Kim, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Just as that man with throat cancer said yes. Just as Laurie and I on the same day, some 25 years ago, stuck our hands up and said, we want Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, now you heard the preach, search my heart, Lord, you know my heart, Lord, I want to be healed, I don't want it to be through knowledge, but through revelation. Reveal, Lord, is there something that I've been holding on to, as Kim has been, been completely transparent with you all? Is there something in my heart, Lord, that I need to hand over to you, to submit to you? I'm not enough. I will never be enough. But Jesus, you will be enough. You are my healer. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. If that is you, I'd like you to stand up so I can pray for you. There must be thousands of you. I thank you for taking the courage to stand up. I really do. Which is not about me. It's not about me counting numbers. It's not about me looking into your eyes. This is an opportunity for you to make right with God and say, Lord, I've rested. Just like that paralyzed man did for 38 years on my own strength, my own understanding. Do I want to be healed? Absolutely. But that's just knowledge. 
He's looking for that revelation. Search my heart, Lord. What have I been hiding behind? Is it my busyness? Is it my career? Is it my illness? Is it my whatever? Highlight that to me right now, Lord, because I need to be relieved of that. I need to be healed of that. I need to be set free from that, Lord. I need to be the person that you created me to be. You've given all of us that are standing in abilities. You've given us, all of us, a chance to live a life to the full. You've given us all a plan, a purpose, and a calling. You've given us opportunities for ministry. But Lord, that will never be released in us in the true form unless we acknowledge that we are not enough and will never be enough. But only you, Jesus, will be enough. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you touch the hearts of these folk that are standing up right now, that they can be healed, that they can go out of this place and speak to somebody and say, I've been hanging on to this. I didn't realize that's a crutch. Pray for me. Help me. I want to release this into the hands of Jesus. And by his blood, we want to break the chains that are holding you back. I need help. I need to see the people that are going to help me. I need to do whatever. But Lord, you are enough. That's all about you, Jesus. Father, heal them by the blood of your Son the gift of your Son. I worship you, Lord. I thank you for the many folk that have stood up right now. Just receive. I don't want to rush this. There's a couple of prophetic words that Mike wants to release. But for the folk that are standing, just receive. Cry to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. You're going to read that scripture again. Search my heart, Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God knows your heart inside and out. You can't hide from Him. You know, David said in that psalm, I can go to the highest places on earth. I can go to the deepest places of the sea. I can even go to Hades and there your presence will be. You know every single thought even before I think them. Your love for me or your thoughts for me are as many as the grains of sand on a beach. I don't know if you've ever taken a handful of sea sand and just let it sift through your, through your, um, your fist as you hold it. Thousands upon thousands of thoughts that he has about you. So don't believe for one moment that he can't see past that facade. I want to be healed, Lord. Yes, I want to be healed. No, he's looking for the revelation. What's in your heart? Right now, Holy Spirit. Heal me. Heal me. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for these people that are standing. And I trust, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit will touch them and bring about healing. Not through conviction but through revelation and through your love and through your mercy and through your grace. Amen.